Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Shorter fans. Welcome to episode number 347 of the Peristyle Podcast. Big show for you this week. Talk at USC, Notre Dame. Of course, 49-14 victory over the Fighting Irish. Nice way for the Trojans to end the season. we got a lot of questions this week. If you have any questions for us, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Call us at 206-888-6755 or go to peristylepodcast.com. Leave a voicemail right on the page. We want to talk to Dan Weber a little bit later on the show. We're going to answer your questions about this USC victory and what it means going forward. And we're going to talk to Coach Harvey Hyde right now. Coach, thanks for joining the show. How are you? Well, I'm doing great, buddy. Had a great Thanksgiving. Had a great college football weekend. I don't know how you can beat uh, the college football weekends we've been having. They've been absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, you talk about a playoff. If this isn't a playoff right now going on, I don't know really what is. Absolutely fantastic with all the great games and how important each one of these games are, including the Pac-12 and what's happened in the Pac-12, the Southeastern Conference, the Big 12, all of these conferences. Now you've got the championship weekend coming up and what that means to each conference and what it means to each school. Each school, And uh, I'll tell you, it, it's still not over with. There's still a lot to be determined. So we're fortunate to... Uh, have great football in front of us, and again, to always end on a win is a, a fabulous feeling for a university during the regular season. Uh, last week, everybody sort of had the flu, as I opened the Trojan Brunch yesterday and said, today they've recovered, and everybody's feeling well, and they're putting their sweatshirts back on, and they're going <laughs> to the country clubs, and they're wearing them around town, and the flags are back up, and over at UCLA... Well, everybody's sort of wondering, what happened? What happened at UCLA? Can they bask in the glory and come back and beat Stanford and go to the championship game? Well, they couldn't do that. So that's what college football is all about. It certainly is. And uh, that's a good segue to our first question. But I wanted to thank our sponsor first, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com is the website. Or you can call them at 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything across the country here in Southern California, go to sctickets.com. And check it out. Watch, go watch Kobe Bryant in his last couple of years there, putting up a lot of points. Check them out at sctickets.com. They've been great to us. And if you want to follow Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter, all you have to do is go to at Coach Harvey Hyde, at Coach Harvey Hyde. He tweets a lot during the games and during the week. You can follow me on Twitter, at Inside Troy. And, Coach, you're talking about people wondering what happened. USC fans are wondering what happened to go from U- the UCLA debacle to Notre Dame. And that's our first voicemail question. So I'm going to play it for you right now. Hey, this is Kevin from uh, Sherman Oaks, and I'm hoping Dan Weber or Harvey Hyde could explain to me how we looked so good against Notre Dame, and yet we looked so bad against UCLA. I kept hearing the commentators during the game saying how depleted Notre Dame was with injuries. So were they that bad, and this is kind of a hollow victory, or was UCLA that good considering they just lost to Stanford, a team we beat? And quick follow-up question. How can Sark call us a run-first team, considering 
all of our touchdowns against Notre Dame were pass plays. Hey, a win is a win, and fight on. Well, thank you very much, and happy holidays to you and all of our listeners out there. Uh, it's always great to uh, uh, end the season with a win. Winning solves everything. I always used to say that. It solves anything off the field, on the field, and recruiting. It, uh, to end the season up uh, with everybody positive, as you just mentioned there, is, is a great thing. And that's a great, great question that you ask, how can this and how can that happen? Well, these things do happen in college football. And there's always a combination of reasons why these things happen. Uh, first of all, if you take a look at the USC game, uh, unfortunately they didn't ask me on the pregame show what my thoughts were on the game as far as who's going to win the game. And I was prepared to say that USC has played four or five teams this year in the Pac-12 that are better than Notre Dame. I expected USC to win. I'm not going to say I expected them to win by a point, so 49 to 14, but I expected them to win and cover the points, which were seven. Uh, Utah's a better football team. Arizona, Arizona State. Stanford now is a better football team. UCLA is a better football team. So they have played teams, I thought, that were physically uh, more difficult to, to run against, more difficult to pass against, and also a team that had a lot of injuries uh, going into the USC game. USC, as Coach Sarkeesian said, he was angry uh, as far as all week, as far as after losing the way they lost to uh, UCLA. Well, yes, I'd be angry too, and uh, you should feel that way anytime you lose. And uh, whatever they did during that week as far as preparing the team actually seemed to have gone well. Uh, they didn't hit as much. Uh, they sort of rested their players. Uh, they didn't uh, get aggressive in practice where they were in full pads all the time. They were more or less practicing at a moment where you can peak them up for the right moment. And I think that really helped because you've been hearing me the whole year talk about nutrition, uh, leaving the game on the field, practicing well, and then not playing well in the second half. So I think that really helped them as far as getting ready for this game as far as energy was concerned. Final game of the year as far as in the Coliseum is huge. Notre Dame is huge. But playing for yourself is huge, too, but you're embarrassed so badly the week before in the uh, Rose Bowl that, you know, you, you didn't want to walk around campus. You didn't want to be seen. You didn't want to go to class. You didn't want to go to your fraternity meetings or anything that you're a part of. You didn't want to be part of. So I think that had a lot to do with getting the team ready to play. Uh, Notre Dame beat up quite a bit. And, you know, I really think Sark called them off. Uh, I think they could have beat them worse. As far as your other question, as far as a running team, uh, basically USC comes first as a passing team. Let's don't kid anybody. Sark hasn't said that, but he likes to throw the football, throw it around, and during the early part of the season, he never threw the ball down the field. We've gone through all these stages, so why should we go back and repeat ourselves? And uh, running the ball has been something he likes to do, but passing the ball he has more fun with. Let me just put it to you that way. Yeah. They did have a running touchdown, though. Justin Davis did have a touchdown. So, right. yeah, Yep, he did. He did have a running touchdown. But records, throwing the ball, yardage, number of touchdown passes, five in the first half, six touchdown passes, never happened before against Notre Dame. All those things young coaches like. They, they really like these type of records. But they accomplished it. They won the football game. They dominated the football game. Ladies and gentlemen, 329 yards in the first half, five TDs. They converted on their... <laughs> Their, their third down conversions, and I think 13 for 18 or something like that, almost an 
unbelievable. So they had a great game plan. They went after it on the defensive side of the football. You know, they had fun, if you notice. They went after him. They caused uh, Everett Colson to sort of run around, get sacked, throw the ball badly, and they made a change in their quarterback situation. You know, and also, let's give uh, Everett Colson a little bit of a break here. You know, he had a couple of receivers, fully dropped a couple of passes that were wide, wide open, and he was open, what, real, he was open once for a touchdown if he'd have seen him. So, you know, these things have to go right for you. And in the Coliseum on Saturday, Everything went right for USC and Notre Dame. Uh, you know, when I watched them, it's almost like they didn't care. Ryan, I don't know if you noticed it, but if you looked at Ryan Kelly or Brian Kelly, he looked like he was just uh, watching the game as I was watching the game, and there was no emotion that I saw on the sidelines. So I don't know what's missing there. If something's up at Notre Dame, or something's going on that we don't know about. I don't know. Time will tell. But. Uh, it was a domination, dominating football game, almost exactly the way it was the week before, and UCLA's favorite. Um, all right, Coach, thanks for that. Let's uh, go to Ryan. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go to Steve in San Diego. He said, hopefully everyone is going light on the questions. It's definitely a lighter question week. This week. We got a lot of questions, but nowhere near what we did. Last week was record-setting. We never had anything like that before. Um, I have a simple one. Where was this defensive play calling all season? Thanks, thanks as always, Ryan and Steve in San Diego. Well, I don't know where it was all season, but I've always said you wear your front four out when you don't give them help. You've heard us talk about this the entire – so it's not like something I just jumped on all of a sudden. It's something I've talked about, different looks, uh, help them uh, blitz more, keep them off balance, don't let the offense know what you're doing change up your coverages. I always feel pressing and going after people and getting a quarterback out of rhythm is, is something you try to do the entire year, especially against great quarterbacks that can throw the football. So it's something that they, uh, the other stuff wasn't working, okay? And after UCLA, obviously it wasn't working. So you try something else. And I think they were more or less in a position where they said, hey, what do we have to lose? Excuse me for saying it this way. Nothing. So they did start the blitz. They did start to have some fun on defense. They were excited. They got an interception. They recovered a fumble. They had some turnovers. There was enthusiasm on the defensive side of the football, and offense was moving the football, giving the defense a time, some time to rest. So it was a, it was a good feeling that defense didn't get worn down. And uh, I just think that uh, this is part of defense. It's like running one offensive play the entire game. You can't run one or two offensive plays the entire game. I think on the defensive side of the football, you've got to be able to mix them up and, and do everything you can on the defensive side of the ball to confuse, too, to get them to start to think. So I think that was good, and the pass interferences was great. The penalties were kept down. There wasn't many penalties. I think they had six penalties the entire game, which is good. I think Notre Dame had four penalties. Uh, but... Uh, that's what I think happened. I, I, what do they have to lose? Go after it. We've been talking about this one that's, it's since day one. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's go. Uh, Jim, this is kind of a long one. And let me give you a little uh, press of the two. There's, there's been some criticism of Cody Kessler, coach, on both sides. Some people think he's been overly criticized, and some people think that Max Brown should be starting. So we get questions kind of on both sides of this, and we continue to do that. But I'll read you all of Jim's and – let you comment. He says, as always, enjoy Coach Harvey Hyde's analysis and your observations, especially 
the stats on blitzing, etc. As a, the spec, uh, skeptical scientist once said, in God we trust, all else bring data. So here's the data that explains why so many fans and even some ESPN quote-unquote experts are waiting to see if there is a real competition between Max Brown and Cody Kessler in the spring. Kessler finished the season with 36 touchdowns and four interceptions. So how can there be any dissatisfaction? Uh, the data says Kessler threw 30 touchdowns in one pick against the six teams that range from bad to among the worst in the, the country in pass defense, including Fresno State, Colorado, California, Washington State, teams below the 100th Division One teams out of 128. Kessler threw six touchdowns and three picks in the other six games, Stanford, Oregon State, and the Southern Division teams that had that they had to beat Utah, UCLA, and the two Arizona schools. So against poor defensive teams, he's averaging five touchdowns at one-sixth of an interception per game. Against the well-coached and talented defense, he averaged one touchdown and half an interception per game. Last week, one of the fans asked a question, uh, but, but I would like to hear it answered. Is Sarkeesian going to have a real level playing field competition for quarterback in the spring or not? Enjoy the show, Jim in Canyon Country. Well, Jim and Ken and Country, uh, I could write my uh, master's dis- dissertation on that question. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'll try to remember all the uh, different parts of that question. And, and thank you for calling, and happy holidays to you. First of all, uh, I look at Cody Kessler as this. What would you be without Cody Kessler? And I'm not saying that Max Brown's not a great player, but I haven't seen him perform. Uh, in fact, in the game on Saturday, I was more or less uh, discussed it yesterday morning, uh, I was wondering why they didn't let him play. I mean, he played with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, but, I mean, let him play. I mean, run the ball. They ran the ball every single play. I mean, I know you're not trying to run the score up, but you want to be able to give this kid some experience. You want to also be able to teach off the tape, off the film, and say, look here, he was open. You should have done this. You threw this way wrong. You, you did this, or you did this right. That's perfectly. The kid can throw great deep, but he's a great a uh, great passer that can throw the ball deep. Maybe he can throw the ball better deep than Kessler, but I'm not ready to say that because I think Cody Kessler is the key to their entire offensive team. Without Cody Kessler, uh, I don't think SC, what I saw, would win many football games. He was the key behind the whole thing. He was the leader. That's why I said the entire year I wish they'd huddled up because he's the type of leader that would have motivated the younger players and answered questions in the huddle rather than them guessing at what they're going to do looking to the sideline. And I won't change my opinion on that, but I'm not the head coach. The head coach can do what he wants. As far as the stats that you gave me on the games that he did well on and the games he didn't do well on, well, on the games that he did well at, we all assume that, that that was because they're not very good. But it's a team uh, sport, especially on the offensive side of the football. On the games that he did well they gave him good protection. Uh, he did make plays happen when he rolls out of the pocket or steps up. He does very well as far as being able to scan the field. But on the games, he didn't have the great stats like you're telling me. Hell, he didn't have a chance. Against UCLA, he didn't have a chance as far as the plays that were being called, the way they twisted and came up the middle and put pressure on him. Really, he was lucky to get the ball off in more situations, and they just threw to one receiver. The, uh, Nelson Aguilar, three catches for 24 yards. Uh, so in the games that they played against better teams, when you play a better team, it's harder for you to get more yards, especially when you've been struggling. And they struggled. They struggled in some games. I mean, uh, 
Well, I don't have to point that out. They struggled against Utah. They struggled struggled against. Uh, well, they didn't struggle against Arizona State. They should have beat Arizona State against Arizona. They were lucky to beat that game. But they're good football teams. Look what look what happened. Arizona State ended up nine and two. Arizona nine and two. Now ten and two. And if Arizona doesn't beat Oregon or whatever, they'll probably go to the Fiesta Bowl and. Oregon will go to the uh, one of the championship bowl games, which means you got two teams from the Pac-12 in big bowl games. So the Pac-12 is getting a little recognition. When you think about it for a minute, do you want Arizona to beat Oregon? Because uh, one won't go from the Pac-12 to the championship game. Both will go to a, a championship bowl, but not to the Rose Bowl or to the Sugar Bowl. So Arizona was able to establish themselves. Arizona State dominated Notre Dame. Dominated other teams. Got beat by UCLA and Oregon State. The only teams to beat Arizona, USC and UCLA. So when you look at the overall balance of the Pac-12 and who's going to beat who, and anybody can beat anybody any day, it's not just Cody Kessler that didn't play well. It's what support they gave him in different areas. Play calling. Protection running game, open receivers, penalties, all those type of things contribute to you having success. And during this season, USC struggled in all of those areas. Touchdowns being called back, illegal procedures, no third down conversions, bad field positions, offensive line being young and not being able to pass protect, poor, poor play calling at times. Uh, so there's a lot of combinations that make up the success against good teams. So I'm just saying this. Cody Kessler and, and Max Brown, as far as in the spring, if Cody comes back, and I certainly hope he does, he should. Uh, yet I think he, he's one of the best players coming out because I'm not all into this scrambling quarterback now and in, in the NFL being a great success. If you look around, how many have really Cam Newton and Griffin and these guys really gone out there and really get it done. I mean, uh, Michael Vick's not playing anymore. I can go through the whole thing. You, Manuel, I can go through the whole thing with you, Smith. But uh, I think Cody Kessler's like Drew Brees. I really do. I feel he's a guy that's a winner. He can get it done. It's undersized but knows how to win. So uh, I hope he comes back. I wouldn't be surprised if he went out. I really wouldn't. But I hope he does it along with Buck Allen, Nelson Aguilar, and Leonard Williams. I think that's going to happen but the others i'd like them to look at the others that came out early last year and i think they'll all be successful come back and really have a great year with usc not that eight and four and nine and four in the bad season but uh, that's what i think and to be fair cody kessler you know he's second in the country in passing touchdowns 36 behind uh, western kentucky's uh, brandon doherty but he's tied with Mariota, and and i i haven't gone through everyone else's numbers but i would assume that, you know, like the Jared Goffs of the world, they're throwing a lot of touchdowns against Washington State as well. You know, I mean, the, you're getting a lot of your your bigger stats against some of the worst teams. And Notre Dame, while they had a depleted defense, that's still a rivalry game. That's still coming off of uh, – I'm impressed with Cody Kessler's performance and what the coaches did and how they bounced back. And I think a lot of it is out of his control. So I think there's – you know, certainly there's criticism of Cody Kessler, and that, you know, but his numbers are pretty ridiculous right now. So it's it's hard – but, you know, I, I see what people are saying. Um, but he's, he does have some pretty impressive numbers, Coach. So I, th- I think some of the criticisms, criticism about him is unfair. No, I do. I agree with you. And I want to say this, make this one statement. As far as having an open competition in the spring, we always have open competition. 
but I, if he comes back, he's my starter. Okay. Yeah. Max Brown, uh, I'm disappointed he didn't get more of an opportunity to play, but he was Gatorade player of the year. He's a great player. He can throw the ball. Ryan, you've seen him, uh, but he needs to get uh, into the game action. He needs to, uh, and kids mature a lot in, their next, in the next couple of years. And it's great to have great competition and possibly two or three quarterbacks coming in. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. All right, let's go to Lamar. He says, that was a great finish to the season, and I like the way the kids played. Only six penalties, much focus, discipline, great game plan, balance, and recruits on the sidelines. I'm concerned about the defense going into next year. We lose Hayes Pillard, J.R. Tavai, Leonard Williams. I know the big cat is not replaceable, but SC looked bad at middle linebacker when Hayes wasn't playing. What is your opinion on his replacements for next year? P.S. before the Pete Keller era, who was the last Pac-10-12 team to win a national title and what year did it happen? Hit last century and a dog pound, Lamar Johnson. And I think he's talking about University of Washington back in 1990 with with all those teams. But uh, there, I'll let you go, Coach. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. They do need a lot of help on the, the defensive side of the football. Um, I think that uh, they need to get athletic people on the defensive side of the football. I've been looking at their recruiting list currently right now. They're, uh, I think they're offensively strong as far as uh, who they're going after. I'm sometimes confused at some of the offerings that they have as far as at certain positions. I'm not talking about ability. I am in some cases, and in some cases I'm not. I don't want to specifically uh, mention certain players currently right now, but I always say on all of our shows and whenever I talk, this is USC. You should be recruiting the top players in America, and you should be getting commitments from the Griffin, from the Matthews. Oh, Matthews was a walk-on. But these type of players, I mean, you go after the best, and you hope to play with the best if you're going to win a national championship. You're not going to out-coach anybody. Let me just put it to you that way. you got to have players to coach. So, yes, I think defensively they've got to get some players. They really do, and – and uh, I didn't see much of Michael Hutchings this year, so I really don't know. He didn't play much. Was Pollard played most of the year, so I didn't see him. He has to grow up. I think he has to grow up. I think these other young players, too, that came in, Tucker and the other kid, I think they have to grow up and get a little bit more physical, but they didn't get much playing time the entire year. They played on special teams, but as far as lining up and playing a lot of football, they didn't get that. Felix plays hard all the time. Uh, Quentin Powell's got to grow up, and Quentin's, Quentin's got great speed coming off the end. Uh, I'd like to see him get a little bit bigger and really put some pass rush on people. I think that's where you lacked a little bit as far as uh, uh, putting pressure on, on the quarterback. I think Tavai is one of the hardest playing players that they had. He plays hard every single down. He gets everything he has. They're a better defense when he plays. Uh, defensive lineman-wise, uh, uh, you know, you don't have a. Uh, you got Antoine Woods coming back. You got Pallone coming back. You got Simmons coming back. Got Townsend coming back, but you don't have any really, what I must say, dominant players. I mean, dominant where you where you dominate the line of scrimmage. Yeah, you play, but I'm talking about kicking somebody's butt, playing on their side of the ball. I don't know if they have that. The secondary should be good. They got a lot of players back. Uh, Shaw is gone. Uh, but they got all the secondary guys back, plus who they redshirted, and they got a couple of good commits as far as kids that can play there. So, uh, yes, I say they are, they need to get defensive help. You win championships with defense, okay? 
and uh, who they get and who verbally uh, commits as young players have got to come in and contribute, especially on the defensive line. They might go JC-wise again, but, you know, you don't want to just get JC guys that are so-so. This is USC. You want to get JC guys that dominate, that come in and play right now, not redshirt or play every other down or any of that type of stuff. So, yeah, I I agree with our caller. Uh, The defensive side of the football needs help. All right, and uh, kind of a follow-up to that, Tark wants to know, who will USC miss more on defense next season, Leonard Williams or Hayes Pillard? Well, I'll I'll tell you what, I think they're going to be missed equally. Uh, I don't want to point one out more than the other. It was one really played hard the entire time, and Williams played hard the entire time, but there are some games Williams sort of disappeared. Now, against Notre Dame, he made five tackles, but I didn't see him dominate that game uh, as, as as he does other games. Uh, being the number one draft choice, as people say, that's pretty good. That's being he's pretty good. So you don't hear people talking about Pollard being the number one draft choice. So he would probably miss Williams more, but he's such a dominating type of player. Pollard is a, is a winner. Pollard plays hard. Uh, he's undersized, but he runs at a football, and uh, he's a great player. Uh, who are you going to miss? You're going to miss, miss them both. So I'm not going to point out one over the other, but they both have different qualities. And uh, they do different things, and they play different positions. So I'm going to say you're going to miss them both. All right, makes sense. Uh, let's say um, Charles and, Car- and Carson, we're going to go to him. Didn't it feel good to see more than one wide receiver show their skills on the field? Could this not have happened or helped us against UCLA? George Farmer... Five-star recruit, number one wide receiver coming out of high school, world-class speed, who beat Damian Mama in the the. Uh, I'm sorry, not, not Damian Mama. <laughs> I'm hoping he beat Damian Mama, who beat the Black Mamba in the state finals in the hundred meters in high school, was finally targeted. Each time he beat his opponent uh, by two or three steps. Dar- Darius Rogers was also used, and while we saw a sighting of our highly uh, touted tight end, Clay Helton must have called the plays. Uh, for Saturday's game. What do you think, uh, Charles and Carson? Charles and Carson, uh, I want to tell you, George Farmer is potentially a number one draft choice. He's got it all. He's been bothered with a, a hamstring, and he got hurt uh, a knee, I think, earlier, but he's the man. He was the number one high school recruit in the country at his position when he came out. Not that these other guys can't play, but he's a dominant player, Okay. It's too bad that kid isn't playing more. Uh, you've got, and you've heard me say this all the time, Juju Smith's a great player too, but, uh, you know, if you don't have numbers, which uh, now USC is admitting now in today's Times paper that the numbers didn't really make any difference, which I've been talking about the entire year, if numbers make a difference, get your players on the game, on the field, and like Juju could have been on defense, playing a linebacker, or being a mild jack type of guy, like I said last week, he's that type of player. And then Farmer can get on the field. Rodgers can get on the field. Who's from Carson? And who can play? So, you know, uh, they're very fortunate to have these type of players. They're big, fast, good receivers, along with Nelson Aguilar. The tight end, they never really utilized this year the way they should have, and they were double covering the split receivers and slot receivers. The tight end could have really been more uh, utilized, let's use that term. Yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah, he, he is a great player. I see him playing in the NFL. He's going to get bigger, stronger. He's got good hands. 
and he really did uh, play well at the end of the season, especially when he got his turns and when Cody started throwing the football to him. If you spread the ball around to all of these guys equally, it's impossible to stop you. Almost impossible to stop you, especially, too, with a running back like Buck Allen, and I hope he comes back. Justin Davis is a good running back, and uh, I think they have to recruit a couple of running backs. Uh, I'm not going to discuss the running backs that they have commits from, but I don't think that's fair. But, uh, yeah, George Farmer, great talent, NFL talent. I really believe, I'm going to tell you, I really believe all of these guys are Bryce Butler. Bryce Butler starts in the NFL. I can go through and tell you all these guys, Cameron and all these guys that are playing. Cameron was all pro last year and couldn't even play at USC. So I'm saying these are good, talented players. So, uh, yes, they need to get more playing time, but how do you get them all in the game without spreading them out and putting them on the other side of the football where you might need some help, and then you're a better football team. All right, we got one last one for you, Coach, and we'll let you go. James in Portland, Oregon, uh, how much of a role do you see James Tolan playing next year? So he's talking about the walk-on running back who got some time at the end of the game. With Trey re-entering the depth chart, will James be buried? To borrow a few phrases from Coach, he's a playmaker, and you always put your playmakers on the field. Fight on, uh, James in Portland, Oregon. Well, James in Portland, Oregon, uh, I don't know how many practices you've been to or seen this kid in high school or anywhere, but Ryan and I both agree this kid is a player. He would be a scholarship players player at most schools, not just anywhere, but he'd be a scholarship player somewhere in the Pac-12. He's got great burst of speed. He didn't. He wasn't able to demonstrate that at all Saturday because they were just running the ball at the end of the game, and he got in there and, you know, it was plays that don't count. I use it that way. Plays that don't count. That's why... We don't like that, but that's the way it was. Uh, I think he could be used. I think he could be a regular player. I think he's got he's got speed. He's tough. Uh, he's the best walk-on running back in the Pac-12. Now, I might be wrong because I don't know, see everybody, but, Ryan, you see a lot of players. Wouldn't you say he's one of the best walk-on running backs in the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't say I know a lot about Pac-12 walk-on running backs, but he's a guy that – he can definitely make plays. Now, is he buried on the depth chart? Well, they only have two scholarship running backs right now, and you never saw him really with the competitive carry, I think, throughout the year. He kind of came in in, in garbage time. So, to me, that kind of tells you all you need to know. Well, there's only two scholarship running backs right now. He wasn't getting on the field. Um, next year, they're going to have a couple from the recruiting class, plus Trey Martin. You know, uh, Trey Martin. Trey, uh, Trey Madden. So, to me, I it. My guess would be, Coach, and maybe you, you can agree or disagree, that you probably are not going to see him on the field since you didn't see him this year when they actually only had two guys. I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, I agree with you. It's sad because uh, uh, when you have a uh, possible Heisman Trophy candidate and in, in a, in a running back like Buck Allen, you want him on the field. You hear me talk about it all the time. Why should he come off the field? He's been on the field every single time. Uh, so it's very difficult when you only have one running back and you have your best running back. The best running back plays, but you got to always be ready to come in the game. Justin Davis uh, got stronger as the year went on, but he didn't get his turns either, and he's a great running back out of high school. So when you go to an outstanding university and you're willing to go and compete, and James Solon, I, I give him credit. He walked on. He works hard. He's a great kid. And uh, if he gets his turn, I think he'll not let people down. But it's very difficult to get that turn. It's very difficult to get that turn. 
All right. Well, Coach, great stuff. We really appreciate you coming on and sharing all your insights. With, uh, a much better note to end on than last week after the Rose Bowl. But thanks again for uh, coming on the show and, and answering everyone's questions. Well, Ryan, again, I want to thank you for having the opportunity of being on your show. And also I want to uh, thank everyone for all of your questions and your involvement in our show. Without you, we don't have a show. And uh, I want to wish all of you happy holidays out there, no matter where you might be. And thank you for listening. So uh, have a great week. Okay, thanks, Coach. And uh, we'll be back in one minute. We're going to talk to USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Lots more questions to get to about USC and Notre Dame. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back on the Peristyle Podcast. We have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show, talking about USC's 49-14 victory over Notre Dame and the Coliseum, ending on a high note. Dan, what's going on? Thanks for joining the show, and how you doing? Uh, well, we're in a holding pattern here, I guess, uh, looking down to the bowl game and uh, wondering how the heck did USC drop out of the top 25 in the final poll at AP, ending up number 26, which is probably not where you want to end up, especially in a year where you were at one time, I guess, uh, the high of uh, number nine. So probably uh, not exactly the kind of arc you would like to see in a, in a program. But the, at least USC knows if they win their bowl game, they will be ranked to end the season. So it's kind of like a you're right on the cusp. You can you win your bowl game, you'll you'll finish ranked in the top 25. You lose, and you won't. Uh, exactly. There you go. <laughs> so we'll see. So we'll... they've got their incentivized in the bowl game. Uh, I guess kind of the way they were incentivized in the uh, oh I don't know the UCLA game. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> um, definitely. It's an up and down thing there, and we're going to talk about that through all the questions too, people. And let's remember now: this is going to be a hard nose, and from here on out, a tough A football team, according to the coach who figured that out after 12 months, putting his stamp on this team. They're not going away. They're going to be hard nosed and tough. That's what he said on the uh, conference call last night, and uh, it's sort of interesting to see. They definitely played a lot better um, against Notre Dame, which was you know kind of a night and day thing there. But we want to go to uh, Donnie, and he had a question. We'll start off with him. He says, after watching the entire Notre Dame game, was it just me? Uh, 
that watched a completely attack-oriented defense that forced quarterbacks to make quick decisions on third downs, blitzed more than five times, and even did stunts on the defensive line. I'm curious what you guys saw with the overall identity and personality of the defense. I also I also watched John Plattenberg play at safety uh, back there in an extremely aggressive and passionate way. Thanks for all you do for us Trojan fans, Donnie. Yeah, Donnie, uh, I mean, I, he was aggressive and passionate, and uh, th- that's, the, that's the good news and the bad news both when you're playing safety because, uh, you know, you come up and you make plays maybe on – I don't know, help out on bubble screens and things like that. Uh, it also does allow you to run by people who are going the other way and uh, end up standing out there all by themselves. The good news, though, about being an attacking defense is you don't give the quarterback time to find those people or he throws it too soon and he overthrows them, which is what you saw. Uh, reminiscent of the latest time we can remember that was uh, Derek Carr in the Las Vegas Bowl. Well, he had some guys running, uh, you know, open a little bit, but uh, he was forced to throw it, you know, too quickly. So, uh, you know, it's uh, 11 and a half months later, but uh, that does seem to be the way for a USC team to play. USC kids are probably not geared to play that really soft uh, bend-don't-break. I mean, you know, Pete was a bend-don't-break in a lot of ways, but with, uh, with guys – Linebackers, especially, you know, people making uh, aggressive, uh, aggressive plays on the ball or on the quarterback, and uh, you know, you saw that. And, and let's face it, okay, uh, you know, Everett Golson maybe isn't the same guy the last five games, and Notre Dame people still not sure, you know, what all the issues are with their quarterback. But essentially, that was the same offense that probably should have beaten Florida State with whatever is going on with Everett Golson. But, uh, you know, Notre Dame had a lot of uh, personnel issues, but those were on defense. Uh, so, you know, you got to like the looks of that. And, uh, you know, let's have some more of that, please. Uh, you know, you'd almost like, I don't know, they could say, you know, well, this is a young team and it took us a while to get there. But, uh, but you know, you like to see them. If, they're gonna go, if you're going to go down, go down with your guns blazing rather than, you know, hiding behind rocks. So, anyway, yeah, <laughs> that's my Western metaphor for the day here. I like that. A little Western metaphors on the Peristyle podcast. Uh, thanks for that one, Donnie. Uh, okay, this is interesting. So, this is from Guy, our, our buddy Guy. Um, and Anthony Nyer is a, a walk-on senior who's been bouncing all over the place at different schools and back. He got the, got the play late in the game. And, and on the official USC site, USC Trojans, they uh, put up, uh, interview with him on their YouTube page and part of the interview Dan he said Clay Helton calling the plays and it's kind of started a little bit of a firestorm so guys question was Anthony and I are set into the camera after the game whole team Clay Helton you know calling the plays what do you make of that so a lot of people were, were speculating that Clay Helton was the play caller for the game uh, we got to talk to Sark a little bit about that last night but maybe get your thoughts on on what that means well, Anthony would know. Anthony is is kind of one of the sideline brains behind uh, the whole operation. Uh, if you went to summer workouts, uh, Anthony was, uh, you know, a big part of the signaling and signing on. Uh, terrific kid, great personality, uh, 
pretty good player. I mean, I, I don't know that he would have totally embarrassed you if he if he went out there. I, I mean, I just liked everything about Anthony. Uh, and I think it looked to me like this is how you ought to do it. Uh, Clay is the offensive coordinator, after all. And Clay did, does install the offense during uh, during the week. Clay is the guy working with the quarterbacks. Uh, he is, you know, he's also the quarterbacks coach. So it just seems seamless if basically Clay, you know, and obviously the head coach is involved in everything, and then you know has the you know the final say and what have you. But if you get the game plan right, you get the you know kind of the you know scripted plays to start the day, and you just go with it. And, and, and if it's going well, and you get the lead. There's no need, you know, for the head coach to, you know, jump in and call the third and two or whatever. I mean, I, we know that there have been some rough spots, starting with the Boston College game, in terms of how the whole play calling, you know, situation has gone. And I know people say, well, oh, Clay, you know, it was completely different. You know, Clay called the plays and what have you. Now, obviously, Sark is never going to not have a major, major issue uh, you know, in, in major, you know, involvement in, in, in how the plays are called in the game plan and what have you. Has he stepped back a little bit? We gave him a chance to talk about that last night, and he said a little bit maybe. He he immediately, in, you know, brought up Clay and, and brought up Clay and working with the quarterbacks and the installation. And uh, But then, uh, you know, after the game on Saturday, he also talked about the fact that he, as the head coach and the quarterback, were on the same wavelength, and that there was a very clear understanding of what the what the head coach wanted with the quarterbacks. But that goes through Clay. So I have a feeling that situation is evolving uh, without probably the head coach wanting to just come out and say, "This is where it is. This is how we did it." having said earlier in the year that, oh, no, I'm going to keep calling the plays. Uh, so I, I, that, that would be my take, that it's evolving, that it went in a direction where you didn't need to, to be, uh, you know, you just needed to stay with the game plan uh, against Notre Dame. If the game plan is good enough and you're going quick, uh, you really don't need a whole lot of people trying to figure out, well, what's the next play call? You know, you don't have those situations that USC found themselves in against, you know, Arizona State and Arizona and Utah, uh, even UCLA uh, before it got out of hand, uh, where, you know, it was, uh, what are we going to call now? Uh, they just basically, you know, went with a game plan that really was ready to go. Now, the game plan was attacking. The game plan was, uh, you know, make them defend the entire field. The game plan was, uh, you know, get get these guys uh, blocking the run in ways in which they block the run well, and not don't try to be fancy, don't try to be, you know, doing too much, uh, and uh, it all went together well. So that would be my take: is it kind of an uh, evolution of, of how this is going uh, after some rough spots uh, earlier in the year as to who was calling what and how how they how they all you know were on the same page where they weren't. And now they seem to be. All right. Uh, well, one of the differences on the offense was the emergence of George Farmer. We have a question about that. We actually have a story up uh, talking to T. Martin on uscfootball.com. You want to get some more details on that. But uh, here's a question about George Farmer, Dan. 
What's up, guys? My name is Sean from Kentucky. Uh, I just had a question for Coach or um, Dan Weber. It doesn't matter about George Farmer, but, man, I was so happy to see him have the game that he had uh, against Notre Dame. Uh, he was really due for that. But my question is, in the future, in the bowl game and next year, can you see us using him maybe how Alabama uses Amari Cooper? I mean, a lot of times Alabama just puts him out there, and if they're single coverage, that's where they're going. Because judging by what I saw – Farmer, as big as he is, I can't believe he runs as fast as what he does. That's ridiculous. And I saw a video on YouTube of him smoking DeAnthony Thomas in a 100-meter race. That's just baffling to me. I didn't know. I knew he was fast, but I did not know he was that fast. But, man, I just hope we can get to utilizing him uh, and maximize that ability for the bowl game and next year. But as far as I'm concerned, this week was exactly what the doctor ordered and uh, fight on. Yeah, Sean, uh, you're exactly right. I mean, it, it ought to be simple. Uh, now that he's healthy, and now that he's totally, uh, and I thought Sark described it well in the uh, in the conference call last night, uh, George really now understands the system. I, I, I'm surprised that, you know, the system should be that difficult for George to understand. But the third element is, uh, uh, besides him being healthy and really feeling comfortable with the system, is, is that uh, Cody Kessler feels really comfortable with George. And I think you're right. Uh, you almost can't double George because of the receivers that, you know, you can line up on the other side of the field, especially with, with Nelson and Juju. You can't double George. I mean, there's no possible way. If you double George with those other guys on the field, you ought to be able to run the ball all day. Uh, so uh, it ought to be ought to almost ought to be automatic that if they don't double George, which they can't, uh, and you've got him spread out wide, you know, every so often there ought to be just one of those, uh, you know, automatic understandings between the quarterback and, and George that you're just going to smoke somebody and smoke them deep. You also have the ability with George is to throw the ball on a stop route or something like that or to give him a chance to, if they really back off, let's say, because of his speed. He's 6'1", 220 pounds. Just let him run over the guy. You know, you've got some corner on him. You know, you get him the ball in space. I mean, there's the other way to do that is getting the ball fairly quickly in space and just see if he can run over the guy. Uh, and, you know, I, I just think there were a lot of missed opportunities in terms of the diversity of this offense that they just didn't take advantage of. Uh, it's really – it's kind of a shame that, that there was uh, – I mean, when you can see – this is a team that truly can make you defend sideline to sideline and very deep. Uh, I mean, that's an awful lot of territory if you've got to defend, uh, you know, this team going quickly, attacking, uh, you know, not giving you time to adjust. Notre Dame had all kinds of time trying to get, you know, defensive packages in there or change what they were doing and all that. I mean, that was just, there were a number of times they weren't lined up. Uh, so this is, you know, this is what we we thought you were going to see in, uh, you know, starting with the Fresno State game, and then it kind of went away. And they kind of went into, uh, you're not exactly sure, they do it for a half. Uh, but uh team's got a lot of weapons and should have the ability to, you know, make life pretty difficult for people. But uh, but you got to do it, and you got to believe in it. And after the UCLA game and what happened to them, I think they decided – uh, this is how we're going to go. This is who we're going to be. 
Uh, I mean, I do think it's interesting. Sark said, you know, teams take on the personality of their head coaches, which is certainly no, you know, bit of new news. Uh, but then Sark looked like he had a personality that wasn't exactly the same as, as what we've seen. And uh, he says that now is, is his personality and is that of his teams. And uh, one of the ways that, you know, this thing can be really effective is you you attack and you take advantage of all your weapons. You know, you throw to the tight end, which they did, both tight ends. How long has it been since we've seen him throw to the tight end? And and you throw to George and you throw to, you know, Darius and you throw to, you know, Stephen Mitchell and you you just move the ball around and uh, and, and, and both tailbacks then get running room. Uh, and that, that looked like the team you always hoped you were going to see and see for four quarters most games. Uh, so we'll see, but uh, it, it's moving. It moved in the right direction last week. Let's say. All right, uh, Chad in Riverside had a question. Hi guys, love the podcast. Thank you, Chad. Uh, my observation is that the offense played with a much better pace than they have for most of the season. Why have they looked like the slowest, quote unquote, slowest up tempo team for most of the season? Do you think the bludgeoning that UCLA laid on USC last week woke Sark? up chatted riverside yeah i think you know you get to that point and you say what the heck do we have to lose here uh i think they were you know uh i think it was difficult for a first year staff and this is one of the reasons you wondered about changing staffs uh there is a psychological issue with the numbers usc plays with and uh you know you got to get used to that practicing with them and playing with them and i think sark was always overly cautious in the second halves of games, especially when they had nice leads to protect uh, with the idea that if we go fast or if we go aggressive, uh, our defense is going to have to play more plays as well. And so I think there was, you know, that combination of trying to be, you know, conservative and use the clock and hope you got to the end of the game and you still were on top of the scoreboard and, you know, worked the once or twice, and it didn't work a couple of times. And, uh, you know, this was a team that uh, you know, just seemed to, because of the coaching, uh, this is their decision. They wanted to slow things down in the second half. I mean, similar to, you know, kind of what Lane was trying to do sometimes the entire game. And uh, that just doesn't work. You can't play. You can't slow it down. You know, maybe you get to the fourth quarter and you got a you know a couple of touchdown lead. Then you have to still be able to run the ball the way the last time they beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame when they, you know, ran it for like 97 straight plays or something and Notre Dame couldn't stop them. Uh, you have to be able to run the ball. Uh, and so you know those games when USC couldn't run the ball, uh, you know, at the, in the second half, uh, they were really in trouble uh, because they didn't want to you know go back to that pace that they seem to be successful with and, you know, spreading the ball around and, and essentially having to be a, you know, a pass first team. Uh, but, uh, but I think the UCLA game clearly, you know, was, you know, they, like you got hit with a, you know, baseball bat in the side of the head and you figured, you know, can't get hit any worse. Uh, might as well come out. And I think they clearly thought Notre Dame didn't handle tempo well with their defense and wasn't going to handle it well with a really a decimated defense uh, for sure. And that was absolutely, you know, a correct uh, judgment without, without any doubt. Notre Dame didn't have the, the weapons and, and what an irony that at the end of the year, 
a Notre Dame program who who's a uh, number two person in the athletic department was on the committee on infractions who 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 you know voted to damage USC as badly as, as they possibly could. That a Notre Dame program that started the year with you know full scholarships ended up with fewer players available basically than USC did at the end of the end of this season. Uh, kind of you know poetic justice. I don't know. But, <laughs> Something going on there. It was it? You know, I know the Notre Dame fans are saying, "Well, we lost five guys to academic uh, issues," and then it went, just went from there. But um, but it was interesting to see the Notre Dame fans trying to explain how they had fewer players available to play than USC did. And uh, when you listen to Sark talk on the conference call Sunday night, um, I thought it was interesting. It, you know, give him credit; he hasn't made excuses or stuff like that, but. He said, you know, like you mentioned in the top of the show or at the top of the segment, he wanted to play more physical, and he felt that the more plays they ran on offense, and I, I don't know if he felt this after, you know, going in from fall camp or whatever in Fresno State, they ran a lot of plays, but he really felt that if they ran more plays on offense, that means they're going to have to run more on defense. They just didn't have the bodies to kind of keep up. So it's almost like he changed his philosophy like near the beginning of the season and then maybe towards the end when – they actually got through this season relatively healthy, Dan, and they, they didn't have to worry about the numbers as much cause, you know, when you only have one game left and now you have some time off. But it seemed like he changed his back to we just have to play you know, with reckless advantage, just play and don't worry about the numbers. And you wonder if they would have played the whole season like that, what it would have turned out like. You know, maybe they got a lot of guys hurt, but they were pretty lucky through the middle of the season, really not lost a lot of, of bodies for the season. Yeah, so you can say, you know, uh... In some of those games, you know, the old cliche, the operation was a success, uh, uh, but the patient died. You know, you know, we, uh, it, it also is, the problem there is uh, if you believe that the team takes on your personality, but you can't figure out who you exactly are, and it changes from, you know, spring to summer to fall, early fall to, you know, middle of the year and all that. No wonder. I mean, players do have a problem with knowing exactly, uh, you know, who they are and how they're supposed to win football games. And I thought, you know, Sark talked a couple of things. He coached with a chip on his shoulders, and his players played like it a, a little bit. He said there was clarity in terms of everybody knowing what they were going to do and how they were going to do it, and which would seem to be – there were weeks there wasn't clarity. I mean, he talked to the players. They didn't think there was clarity for the UCLA game. Uh, and, uh, and so that, you know, that's a good thing. I mean, it, and as Sark said, it takes 12 months to put your stamp on it and figure it out. I mean, I think it was hard. It's such a one-of-a-kind situation when you come into USC and having so few coaches left from last year. I thought they'd figured it out. By the end of the year last year, you know, they – they had a game plan blip uh, in the UCLA game, but uh, and then they got you know, the two starting offensive linemen went down immediately. Uh, but uh, that team had figured it out, and they knew how to play fast and, and tough, and they were playing with fewer numbers than this team. And they showed in the bowl prep for Las Vegas uh, that they could come out and 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 play really hard and really fast, and with what 44 scholarship players they had available for that, you know, that game. And, and they made, you know, 
uh, Fresno athletically looked like kind of, you know, like a Division II team. Uh, and, and that's what I thought was missing, where they were trying to feel their way, uh, you know, through the middle of the season as to, well, what do we do or who are we or how do we, uh, you know, how do we play people? I mean, they took an awful lot of the weapons on the offense out of the offense, you know, and they were going to, you know, it was Nelson and Buck and Nelson and Buck. And uh, it just, it looked more and more like, you know, some of the bad old days, uh, you know, and then they, you know, you'd play for a half and then you'd not play for a half. And uh, so, you know, I think Sark is figuring it out. Uh, And the team, I thought, responded just like they did last year. You give them the right direction, you give them the right game plan, you give them the right aggressive, let's go get them. This team responds. These kids have been remarkable through the years uh, in terms of how they respond to the, uh, you know, the proper, uh, you know, the proper coaching. And, uh, you know, they got it last week, and look at how they responded. I mean, uh, Notre Dame didn't want to be out there at all in the second half. And, uh, you know, whatever you can say about, you know, where Notre Dame is right now, you know, that was a pretty good football team this year in a lot of ways that, played a lot of good teams and played them really, really tough. And and they came against USC and they, 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 they had nothing. I mean, just absolutely nothing. I mean, some of those stats, uh, you know, are, are remarkable. I mean, Notre, Notre Dame team in history has given up 35 first downs in a game. I, I, that surprises me. That's amazing. But, uh, you know, USC really accomplished something last week. And hoping, where, the hope, I guess, is I think the players always knew this, but – now I think, you know, the players were here last year, many of them, most of them. Uh, Sark wasn't, and his staff. And maybe this is that kind of revelation where they just say, okay, that's how you have to do it. can't be worrying about the numbers. You just got to play. All right, uh, let's go Frank in Sacramento. Wasn't it refreshing to have ACC refs in stripes against Notre Dame? That was the lowest penalty total since the Boston College game. Frank in Sacramento. Uh, it was extremely refreshing. I, I do know this. When you look down, I always, uh, you know, for the uh, live for the press box, you go to the, they don't identify where the officials are from. They just give you their names. And I saw Frank Hennigan is the referee. And I said, okay, never heard of that guy. He's got to be an ACC guy because that's <laughs> in this history of the game. I mean, you're better off with ACC officials than the Pac-12 crew that screwed USC last year in South Bend. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, USC would be better if they, you know, prevailed to have a uh, USC uh, have an ACC crew for all their home games. I mean, it's just it's it's remarkable. They don't get in the way. They don't control the game. They're not on the mic all the time. I mean, it's just a, an absolute pleasure to have. And these are guys. I think this is when some of the Big East teams went into uh, into the ACC. Uh, this crew would have been a lot of guys. They were Big East guys. And uh, I think Frank Hennigan is, I think he played at Syracuse, but he's a, a, a Rochester, New York lawyer. Uh, and, uh, you know, these guys just come out, call the game, and go home. No big deal. You know, get out of the way. Let them play. And I don't, you know, it didn't look any, other than they weren't in the way, I mean, it didn't look any slop. You know, like, oh, did they let them play sloppy or did they let them play physical? Did they... No, none of that happened. Uh, you would just think that the Pac-12 could go to school on some of these games and just say, what's 
different. The two obviously best officiated games of the year were, you know, the Boston College game and the uh, and the Notre Dame game with ACC officials. What's going on there? I mean, if somebody had any intellectual curiosity or honesty at the Pac-12 offices, that would already be a, a topic uh, that Larry Scott would be, you know, having a meeting on today. Did you actually find out? I don't remember for the Boston College game. Was that an ACC crew, or did they send a Pac-12 crew out there? That was an ACC crew. Okay, yeah. So the two, the two games where USC got the fewest penalties were the two games where they were officiated by ACC crews. So interesting. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. Uh, I guess because last year when uh, Boston College came out, I think it was a Pac-12 crew. I, everybody has different, you know. Uh, agreements. Uh, USC Notre Dame have always been, you know, the visiting team brings the crew. And uh, I guess with Boston College, I guess they didn't care, you know. It didn't matter either way. Um, So, yeah. I mean, if I were anybody playing USC, I'd be fine with Pac-12 officials. (laughs) That's true. Huh? That's I true. Mean, they, basically, they won the game. I mean, they saved Notre Dame last year. Uh, so, you know, uh, that might be Notre Dame might change. They might say, "Hey, we'll just do Pac-12 the whole time." That probably chances of them screwing uh, USC are, are way better than you know a, a crew that just calls it straight up. All right. Well, let's go to Patrick. Uh, he wants to talk about Cody Kessler. He says, "I've been impressed with Cody Kessler this season. Don't understand the criticism." He was sacked 16 times in our four losses, which tells me the inexperienced offensive line had problems giving him time. The third quarter of the UCLA game was ridiculous, though. I blame the coaching more than anything. Unlike previous games, I was very surprised and happy that Sark kept the offense aggressive in the third quarter, even with the big lead. So he's talking about the Notre Dame game there. I think we're one or two years away with a, with our young talent. Do you think Sark has learned his lesson this season? And can lead us to a national championship. That's Patrick. Hmm. Um, well, I mean, I, they did learn some lessons, I think. And I think there were lessons to be learned a lot earlier. Uh, I, I just think you don't load up too much on an, a freshman offensive line. Uh, you, know, you, you, you figure out the things they can do. You don't make it so complex. You don't say, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to block it just the way the 49ers block it or whatever. No. You figure out what they can do, and, and and you incorporate that so that, you know, if you've got a team that is capable of, of bringing pressure, then you've got to change, you know, exactly what you're doing with the passing game in and, and, and terms of the quickness and, and, you know, what they can't stop everything. You know, so if they're bringing, bringing people, you have to be able to anticipate that your guys have to feel comfortable with that. You can't turtle up. Uh, you can't say, oh, no, oh, we were afraid they were going to do that. Oh, now what do we do? No, you, you say, okay, they're going to do this. This is what we're going to do. I mean, you always have a counterpunch, and you always have the ability to do that if you're thinking aggressively, if you're thinking, okay, we'll let them do that. Okay, we'll do this. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, we, we didn't see that all the time. It was just, uh, there wasn't, as, and I thought, you know, again, Sark said it really well. There was a clarity of understanding of what they were going to do in the game plan. And that was great that they, they were all on the same page and they practiced that way and they aggressively went that way. And um, you just got to like that. Uh, uh, and you wish, you know, you wish it would have happened more. 
uh, earlier, and I know it's easy to say they're only freshmen, and it is amazing. I mean, there are, there isn't a team that's ever, I don't know, that I can ever remember a team that started three true freshmen in the offensive line, and it's certainly not at the level where USC is playing and expected to play. I'm sure, I know I doubt if Notre Dame has ever faced a team that started three, you know, freshman offensive linemen. I just thought the the talent level is is, is there and the physicality is there that if you craft exactly clearly what you're going to do offensively, you have weapons you can use no matter what. I thought USC against, you know, some of the better, you know, the more athletic teams had a tendency to kind of, you know, overcompensate instead of just going at them. And and I think they should have gone at them uh, more uh, with a really clear idea of of how you can attack them because they can't. If they're bringing people, you know, they're giving you options. You just have to be able to take them. And um, and not be afraid of, of you know that they're going to be coming after you. You can, you can say, come on, come on, we hope you come after us, because that'll give our guys more. You know, we'll have more open space for the receivers. We'll have more, you know, little things we can do with Buck Allen uh, in the passing game. Uh, but I don't know that they always were able to to be on top of that. Maybe now, you know, it's opening up for the, you know coaches to figure this all out uh i mean that's what we you gotta hope let's uh we'll got two quick ones we'll get to dan uh peter in la i love the podcast listen every week this is my first time writing in well thanks for writing in peter uh, i saw a tweet a few weeks ago from kenny bigelow they had been cleared to run it made me curious what do you see the long-term injury guys doing at practice are trey madden kenny uh, Bigelow, Jabari Ruffin, and Jordan Simmons able to participate in some capacity of practice? And if so, uh, do you see each of them uh, – what do you see each of them do week to week? Well, I mean, it's interesting. We really don't see Jabari. Uh, we see him uh, outside practice. We don't see him in practice. Uh, well, actually, three of the four we do not see there. Uh, Trey, we haven't seen pretty much maybe one time since he, um, you know, was uh, out for the year with the turf toe. And I don't know what he does rehab in that thing. I, it's not like it's not easily rehabable. It's mostly rest, uh, you know, requiring. Uh, we see Jordan Simmons after practice, usually when we're in the media room and you're looking out the window, and there goes Jordan. So, uh, and I saw him, you know, see him on the field after games, but uh, I don't know. He, he just, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of that's going to be up to Jordan and, 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 and what does he want to do. Uh, uh, you, know, you don't have the sense right now that with the way these freshmen have come around, that he's going to have to fight, you know, to get back in the picture uh, with Jordan. I mean, uh, Jabari, he's moving pretty well, uh, you know, after surgery. So, uh uh, but we don't see him on the field. The one we do see on the field is Kenny, and he's there. He basically there at every practice. And when he goes by, you know, going in shorts, and uh, you don't, you wouldn't know uh, if you didn't know it was Kenny. You wouldn't know he's just an op, you know, or just a couple of months ago operated on. Uh, he doesn't look like uh, he's uh, you know a per surgical you know uh, guy. And we did see Chad Wheeler for the first time last. Uh, Wednesday or Thursday, uh, anyway, uh, at the end of the week, and uh, he's still, you know, 
kind of significantly, uh, you know, he's got a, a sleeve on that right leg, and he, he it's not, uh, he's not got total, you know, flexibility and all that in the knee. But uh, uh, in terms of, I mean, I think we think all of them. Lamar Dawson is, is you might put him in that group as well, and he's out there practicing every day with a brace on, and uh, you know, it still hasn't obviously come around. But that's five pretty good, you know pretty good athletes that, you know, become eligible, you know, for next year, uh, you know, to, I mean, when you think about the recruiting class, but if you think, if you put those five guys on top of that class, um, that's some, uh, you know, pretty good talent, uh, that, you know, probably, uh, very much needed, but, uh, I, I think you could be pretty optimistic about those guys. I know somebody asked about Kenny, uh, you know, playing in the ball game. And I guess since he's already redshirted, it wouldn't count against him, but uh, you wouldn't think they would even think that thought. Uh, it, it just uh, you know, would be a miraculously uh, quick uh, recovery if he did. But uh, but he's out there every day, and and he looks he looks awfully good. So he could still apply for a medical redshirt, though it seems. Is that? Well, but that would be then a sixth year, right? Right. Yeah. So so it so, wouldn't really. I mean, I, just thinking. It's just. Does that ever happen, you know, almost with a, a big defensive lineman? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you could. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, but you can't do that until after your fifth year. So you we just wouldn't. Play we would, through yeah. your fifth year. So they make it not very easy to plan ahead. Yeah. Uh, you have to play through your fifth year, then you apply. And, you know, I mean, A. Markowitz got one. I'm trying to think. Anybody else? I do think anybody a six-year medic. Well, uh, a Bowman, actually, I guess is that right? Bowman? Is he? Did he? It's almost to... impossible to figure out his career uh, path uh, with the years he was out and all the other stuff. So he got a red shirt. He got an extra year with the red shirt. Whether that was actually the fifth year or the sixth year, I'm not absolutely sure. I think his was the fifth year. Okay. But. Uh, but it's really hard to plan ahead for a six year. I mean, Chris Wilson might be in that situation as well. I mean, there's one more a big body, uh, pretty good athlete who may or may not be in a position of coming back. Uh, he's going to play baseball this spring, evidently. And I don't know. Will, will he, uh, but that gives you, that's some pretty good. And then if you get Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick, uh, that's like seven. Pretty big bodies, uh, pretty big athletes. That when you think about adding those, say if you get all seven of those guys, that's uh, that's a pretty good recruiting haul in, in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, certainly. Ooh, more, uh, yeah, the more you start talking about them, uh, that changes the picture. Uh, we got one last one, Eric uh, in Virginia Beach. She said, I understand that there may be hesitation to speculate, but seeing as there's been significant coaching decisions made across the country. Uh, Auburn and Texas A&M firing their defensive coordinators. Do you guys sense any coaching changes among our staff, whether they be replaced or moving on to other opportunities or roles being redefined? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> no hesitation, Dan. Love it. I think uh, all of those, yeah. I think all of those, although I think to say, oh, you have an idea of, of where that could be, uh-uh, I don't think we have. I mean, you know, UNLV lets their coach go. And uh, now we're hearing that, uh, you know, is that the kind of job that, that somebody could apply for? I mean, 
USC, for example, has somebody on the staff who's unbeaten in in Las Vegas, uh, and and probably is kind of ready for uh, that kind of a challenge. But then you hear that Las Vegas would probably go to the uh, the coach at Bishop Gorman, and I'm thinking, gosh, would that guy want to step down to the you know from the facilities and the recruiting budget and all that that he's got at Bishop Gorman to go back to you know FBS college football i don't know but uh so the, i you know i now they're saying that the colorado state coach jim McElwain is the leading candidate for the uh, florida job well that's Florida, colorado state might be the kind of job that you know where you're looking at at places where you know guys that that usc that if you think that that's the uh that's the, the the possibility that you know that might shake up the staff or whatever. But uh, but yeah, I I've heard I heard uh, over the weekend that there could be 15 jobs open up uh, and jobs that you don't know are going to open up right now. Uh, that that unlike last year where they there were really a minimal number, uh, that this year more jobs are going to open up than people are aware of. So so we'll see. But uh, but I do think yes I think they could redefine I think it could could cause some shuffling in the coaches I think it also could there could also be some redefinition of of, of people's roles and uh, yeah I think uh, I think there could be uh, you know some uh, significant you know movement in a lot of ways that and some might in, you know involve USC. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. We appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing your insights of what's going on with the USC football program. Certainly an interesting finish to the season, UCLA and Notre Dame. But thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Oh, I enjoyed it as always. And uh, let's just see where we, we're certainly, for people that want to put this down, we're certainly looking at uh, either the holiday ball or the you know, December 27th or the uh, Foster Farms Bowl, which is at the new Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, December 30th. So, and both of those would be against Big Ten teams. So you've got a, a kind of a junior Rose Bowl situation where you'd have the Pac-12 against the Big Ten in, in California. Uh, right now, those would, would certainly look like it. You get the sense from talking to the Holiday Bowl guy that the Holiday Bowl would like USC. They had uh, Arizona State. Uh, last year and UCLA two years ago. So, you know, with all those teams with six and three records uh, in the Pac-12 South, you would think that, and they've never had USC. So just to throw that on top of things, we won't know for another week uh, or almost a week. But uh, that seems to be uh, what you maybe could plan for. So you can have a weekend either north or south, uh, although they're not exactly both on the weekend, but – you can call it that. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan. Thank you for that. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. Really interesting season for USC football. We'll keep it going as we do throughout the offseason. We'll talk some recruiting and stuff with Gerard Martinez as well. We'll give you updates on the ball practice. So thanks for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. 
Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music